Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. This is the Fanalytics Podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle, brought to you, as always, by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. How are you today, Doug? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm super excited for sports coming up here. I'm actually, as we speak, setting up my NBA League Pass membership to watch scrimmage games this week. That's how desperate I am for sports. But we've got opening day for baseball on Thursday. Um, basketball tipping off, I believe, late next week. Um, but scrimmage is beginning this week. This previous week, really not a whole lot going on. Uh, MLS has, has been going on. There's been... You know, more rumors with what the Washington football team is going to change their name to. Dan Snyder's hired someone to oversee that, uh, but nothing solid there yet. But it's been a pretty quiet week in sports, I'm not going to lie. It does seem like we're in a bit of a holding pattern where uh, the the big stories of the summer have continued to be the big stories just moving forward at a glacial, glacial pace, right? We've got mm-hmm. some... NFL players doing a little bit of a pushback about whether or not they want to report or, or play. Um, the Toronto, uh, I was about to say the Maple Leafs, but Blue the Jays. Uh, Blue Jays looking for a place to play. Yeah, I don't know. It's about. It feels like we're in reruns in a way. I, I think where we're we're talking about the same issues that as we slowly march forward to sports is slowly marching forward to confront COVID. Um, we're we're closing in on essentially. Uh, I don't know what what you want to call it, but we're closing in on the on the time where it's going to either happen or it's going to fall apart. Um, but we're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. But it feels like even in sports, the the politics have been such a news story. Um, I was watching ESPN this morning, and the the segment coming up was for you know in memory of John Lewis, and I was trying to uh, connect how that tied to sports, but the two have never been more connected. And, and I guess the lack of sports content has certainly played into that as well as the social climate in our country right now. Agreed. And you're, you're right. It's, um, and, and I, I'll, I'll go on record that it's a looming disaster for sports as politics becomes ever more tied to it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the Washington football clubs uh name change they of course had even more of a problem this week with a i don't know a massive sexual harassment complaint mm-hmm. so it's uh i'm in agreement with you that when you watch sports at this point it is well you know bottom line sports are part of the culture and the culture is completely politicized and so that's what sports is going to have to have to navigate going forward so along those lines, on the podcast, we, uh, we tend to keep it on sports, but our larger mission is the study of fandom. And when I talk fandom, at least from my perspective, fandom exists across a lot of different industries and contexts. We focus on sports. That's where, um, well, you know, that's kind of a, a passion point for myself, and I know it's a passion point for you too, Doug. It's also a place where analytics is the application of stats to understanding fans, understanding the games is something that's pretty well developed and something that a lot of people are interested in. In this summer, though, 
we have another type of uh, another industry where fandom is a key component and that is of course the presidential election so every four years and this is like you'd say politics involves fandom but it is mostly in the presidential uh, election cycles where there is so much attention and emotions run so high that fandom becomes well, it becomes one with politics in a lot of ways. No doubt. I was on the road this weekend, and uh, I saw quite a few signs and stickers where people were supporting their candidate or their party um, as if it were a team. <laughs> and so there's that same identity that, that individuals find. The clothing in, test is what yes, I like to call yes, it. Yes, the clothing test, as we've discussed before. So um, we're starting to see that more and more. Well, like I said, I, I, I'll bring politics into the classroom a little bit and into the podcast. I've done some work uh, in, in the past related to uh, the effectiveness of political advertising. I've done some work related to how candidate appearance affects electoral outcomes. So it's while I don't spend as much time in the political realm as I do in the sports realm, I do... I do have a legitimate and long-term research program uh, involved with uh, politics. You know, there's an old cliche in in all this that uh, political candidates are, political campaigns are almost indistinguishable from marketing campaigns, where in one case, uh, and I think the old old line is, it's it's like selling soap, but you're, you're selling candidates. So, so, so much of what I do in terms of marketing and in terms of trying to drill down into this this idea of this passionate consumer or this fan, it does end up being applicable to the world of politics. The one topic I want to bring up, so we'll start talking politics now through the election. The topic I want to bring up, because this has started to make to make a little bit of waves, um, I, I've seen talking heads discussing this, is that well, it, it's some concern with the way polls are done in this country. It, just as, as context, so as of today, which is July 20th, right now it looks like I'm using the Real Clear Politics uh, national average that they have Biden at 49.3 and Trump at 40.7. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you look at the polling at this moment, well, it, it looks like uh, Donald Trump is destined to be a one-term president. Mm-hmm. If you go a little bit farther down in terms of their projections, and so using state-level polling, they've got Biden on the electoral map at 222 and Trump at one, looks like 115, with you know a good number of states still in the, in the toss-up category. But as of this moment of getting to late July, the polling, and what is, what is polling after all? It's a survey of political consumers asking them their preferences. So the the fan, sort of the needle in terms of the where the fandom is, would seem to be swinging towards the Biden camp at the moment. Yeah. Uh, polling is something that I used to trust. Like, I thought there was such a large sample size that it would be pretty accurate. And 2016 was the first election I could vote in. And I remember going into that one um, and I, you know, I don't have the numbers right now, but it seemed like the entire election, it was very clear from polls what the outcome would be 
and it was an absolute shock um, when the outcome did not turn out that way. And so it's really interesting now kind of seeing Donald Trump once again heavily favored to lose to Joe Biden. And it's also interesting because Joe Biden seems to have less passionate fans, if we're speaking in sports terms. You know, like I said, on, on my road trip this weekend, I saw quite a few signs and stickers, very few with the word Biden on it. Um, I saw a lot of Trump. I speak to more people, or I know, I personally know, even living in Georgia, more people that are not voting for Trump uh, that will vote for Joe Biden. And yet I see less T-shirts and, and signs with Biden on it, um, even in, in those areas where where that's uh, where that line of thought is more prevalent. Well, so so this has been this has been the Trump mystery, right? And and I think going back to uh, what you're referencing from 2016, I, I don't remember who said it. it was a either 538 or the New York Times where they had done some analytics based on the polling data and projected I think Hillary Clinton with a 98 percent chance of of winning, and it didn't it didn't turn out that way. And, and look, if you watch the news, what you will basically hear is the Trump side of the ledger saying, well, you shouldn't trust the polls and mm-hmm. the other side of the ledger saying, look, this is what the people are saying. Trump is a is a damaged figure and it looks like the Democratic side is going to uh, win big in the, in the fall. And so this this raises the issue of who's right. And like many things in life, it's it's hard to say who's right. But the argument made from the Trump side is worth it's it's worth digging into because it does, you know, like you, like you're saying. I, I think the traditional view of this is that the pollsters go out and talk to a thousand people or two thousand people. They essentially take the pulse of the nation, and these things can be trusted. But in a lot of ways, a poll is only as good as who you decide to talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so. If it was, and, and so we'll use terms in, in marketing research and in polling of you want a representative sample. Okay, so what is representative? What does the term representative sample mean to you, Doug? Um, it's like to scale. <laughs> it's okay. to scale with the mass number of, of people as far as, you know, which way they would be voting. Okay, but when you say the mass, I mean, and I'm, I'm being a little unfair here, but yeah. you, you used the word mass. So should a poll take the pulse of the masses? Should I a guess poll just see what everyone in America is thinking? People who are going to vote. Okay, and that is that is issue. That, you know, that, that's the fundamental issue. So are the polls actually surveying those who are going to vote? So, you know, if you start to dig into a poll... And some of them are easy to dig into. Some of them are more difficult to dig into. They're a little bit more obscure in terms of who they're who they're actually surveying. But almost all all the time, they will note whether they are talking to registered voters or likely voters. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what does it what does it mean to be registered versus likely? And, and look, we're we're doing this stuff in July. So someone calls you up and says, "Are you a registered voter or are you a likely voter?" I think you want likely voters. Now, that being said, what's the problem with asking someone if they're a likely voter in mid-July? A lot can change between now and then. It's it's like one of those things everyone kind of has it in their head. Like, yeah, I'll vote by then, but it would be a lot more accurate if, (laughs) I don't know, the closer to time. Um, you you want the day before or the morning of, right? Well, wanna... I mean, if you look at the last election, so much changed 
too, between July and, and the actual oh. election with multiple FBI investigations and all the rest. And so, you know, a lot of things change who's voting and who they're voting for. And in the world of 2020 of uh, pandemics, mm-hmm. civil unrest, murder hornets, et cetera, et cetera, I think we've got to believe that we're going to have we're having other disruptions or other shocks to the system, right? And so this this fundamental question of who is likely to show up is kind of at the heart of the criticism of the polls. Um, one of the other things that folks will di- well, you you mentioned it, it, sort of going a little bit out of order here. You mentioned it when you look at um, occasional polls will also ask for ask questions along the lines of how enthusiastic are you for the candidate that you're interested in? Right. right? Yeah. I remember seeing a Fox news poll, uh, about a month ago and the ratio there was something like 65% of Trump of, of voters that prefer Trump were highly enthusiastic versus I think about 30 or 32% for Joe Biden. So a significant enthusiasm gap, right? Yeah. Okay. So how does that translate in terms of who is actually going to show up? You would think the more enthusiastic someone is, the more likely they are to actually vote. A hundred percent, right? I mean, the, in some ways, what that vote is saying is that 65% of the folks that support Trump are, and again, I forgive me, I could be getting the numbers wrong, are passionate fans of his candidacy, right? These folks are going to show up. Whereas on the Democratic side, Biden seems to be a eh kind of candidate. And, and again, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't even really want to get into the criticisms of Biden as a candidate. What I'm really talking about is just trying to capture the mood of the country. So is, is that is that a fair way to state it? If we're speaking in like generalities, yes, of course, yeah. there's going to be people that, that are passionate about uh, Joe Biden. But as a whole, it feels like the Trump base is like a passionate fan base and as a whole, the Biden base is just like they would vote for anybody that runs against Trump. Okay, that's sort of point number two. So it's like, so if you dig into the the polling and you see this enthusiasm gap, that enthusiasm gap might suggest that, look, that uh, the folks that are saying they're going to vote for Trump, these guys are definitely going to show up and about half the Biden supporters are not going to show up. Now, what's interesting about this presidential campaign, this election and I don't know that we've ever seen one quite like this. And I'll, I'll, I'll sort of put this out there as my opinion. The Democratic Party, rather than find a candidate and build around that candidate to build enthusiasm around their, their standard bearer, they have chosen, and essentially from 2016 onward, to have their candidate essentially being the anti-Trump vote. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, you know, take it take it. There's a lot of opinion in this, but it, is that a fair, is that at least a reasonable statement, Doug? Am I, am I too far out there? No, I don't think so. And just to, to draw a parallel to sports, it reminds me of, uh, I remember when LeBron was with the Heat and he was kind of the NBA's villain for a lot of folks. And there were LeBron fans and there were not LeBron fans and not LeBron fans would pull for the Pacers, you know, in the Eastern Conference Finals and then the Mavericks in the NBA Finals, and it's not that uh, those people were Mavericks fans, but it's that they were just pulling against LeBron, and thus they were probably a little bit less passionate about the team they're pulling for, um, but nevertheless, they were pulling for them, and that's what I see with the anti-Trump 
vote in the Joe Biden fandom. And so one of these other, one of the mysteries we have going forward now is how will that actually translate? So someone really being a passionate supporter of a candidate, it's a pretty good bet that you're going to get them to come out on election day and cast their vote. If instead you've built the, the campaign around the, you have to remove Donald Trump for, for whatever reason, and there's a lot of passion there, does that passion translate to the same type of, you know, what they might call a ground game in terms of the driving the turnout of the anti-Trump element? Um, in, in marketing, there's a, you, know, you actually don't see a lot of negative advertising mm. in the world of marketing. You see a lot of negative advertising in the world of politics because it's largely a zero-sum game, meaning mm-hmm. that, look, Coke and Pepsi, at the end of the day, they just want to sell, Coke wants to sell more Coke, Pepsi wants to sell more Pepsi. In politics, Republicans actually don't really care how many votes they get. They just want to get more votes than the Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, typically negative advertising is designed to reduce the turnout of the other guy, of the guy you're in opposition to. In this case, there is so much passion. There's so much anti-Trump passion out there that I think we're in... Un- One of the things that I struggle with in looking at some of the models in terms of forecasting elections is I think we're at a fundamentally different culture where there is so much anti-Trump passion yep. that it's not clear whether or not that's going to be enough to get people to come out. Uh, like I said, used to be you got to have passion for your guy to get people to come out. Can you have passion against that to get your base to come out? Maybe. Yeah. My, my gut feeling is that it's almost equivalent to the passion that Trump people have for Trump is the passion um, to get Trump out. And it's just because it's not passion for Joe Biden doesn't mean that the passion's not there, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, that's just from talking with, with my circle. And so obviously that's a, a limited set of data coming from me, but nevertheless, I wanted to share. Well, I think that, I think, I think that's fair. Look, I work on a college campus. Um, that might be the most passionate place in the universe in terms of hatred of Donald Trump. So, you know, we, we all live in these little bubbles. And so this is why it becomes, this is why, you know, I, I wish we could totally rely on the polls, right. To actually understand what folks were, what folks were looking for. You know, you're, if you're on a college campus and I think you're still roughly in the, a college area, right. Yeah. That, you know, these are ground zero for the anti-Trump anger and, and passion. So, you know, like I said, we will have to see how that translates. <clears throat> um, the other thing that has come out that you'll, you'll see a lot of Trump surrogates mentioning is related to, and this, look, all these things come back to this fundamental issue of who's going to show up to vote. One of the other issues that has been brought up is are they under-surveying Republicans and over-surveying Democrats? Right? Have you heard this one? Yeah, I've heard that. The interesting thing to me is that in the polls I've seen from media outlets that lean heavily <laughs> uh, right, like Fox News, have still been very favorable to to Joe Biden. Um, and so to me, that kind of silences that question. But anyway, there, there's a lack of there's a lack of trust in the media. Um, 
among a lot oh, of people. Oh, a- absolutely. You look at surveys and there's, there's very little trust in, in the media. There's very little trust in a lot of institutions. But b- back to this issue of under-surveying Republicans versus Democrats. Again, it, it doesn't even have to be that much of an issue of imposing an intentional bias. It, it's a fundamental unknown, right? We don't know how many, you know, when, when people talk about surveying, getting the right number of party affiliates in, in surveys, it presumes that these are fixed traits, Right. That there are, you know, that somehow it's like being a male or a female or being of a a racial category and that it's not something that is decided upon in the course of then deciding who you're going to vote for. Right. And so if we say that, you know, if you go out and you survey 30 percent Democrats and 23 percent Republicans and the rest independents, that's not a you know, that's not an immutable trait it's something that also moves so in, in some ways polling pollsters if they were going to do this accurately if they're going to do this right you would almost want to have a series of polls where you were simultaneously polling or in very close proximity polling to see what the electorate looks like and again this tricky thing of the electorate that is actually going to show up and vote and then basing your sample that you actually talk to in terms of generating preferences on those on those percentages, and frankly, that's just not something that's that's not something that's that's done. I think there's a little bit of the work in that in the background. They tend not to publicize it, or at least I hope they're doing that work in the background. So it ends up being again sort of the, one of these things where we've got this big question mark that. We don't actually know how to interpret. We don't know which way it goes in terms of interpreting the polling results. The, the other issue is that we have, we've arrived at a cultural moment where expressing a preference for one party can potentially get people into trouble. Yeah. So adding all of this uncertainty about the number of Republicans who's really likely to vote in addition to that, we are living in an environment, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it, cancel culture. Um, I think there was a there was a, a tweet from Jamil Hill over Saw the that. weekend yep. talking about that if you vote for Trump, you're a racist. I, I, I think I saw another art, a, a story last week with James Harden wore a a thin blue line mask and was very quickly censored and had to walk that back. I think he said he didn't know what it what it meant when he put the mask on. Um, but the bottom line on all this is that we live in a culture, and especially in certain environments, the acad- academia, um, a lot of big corporations, expressing an opinion for being a, a Republican candidate, someone like Donald Trump, Seems to well, and look, I'll I'll even go back in the day. You know, I work at Emory University. Emory made the news in 2016 because students wrote Trump 2016 in chalk on the sidewalks of the campus, and that was almost viewed as something of a hate crime on that campus. So there are environments where expressing an opinion for the Trump side of this you can imagine just just isn't going to happen, whether it be social shame, whether it be genuine fear for 
your, your professional your professional future. So you have to add that to the equation as well. So we've got a lot of unique stuff that is going on at this at this moment that could conceivably make the polling questionable at best. I think that's a great point, Mike. I think that, I don't know, in retrospect, it will be interesting to look back and try to determine how much of this polling was affected by kind of social pressure. Uh, not necessarily that those interviewed were pressured in a certain direction, but whether, I guess, people who were on a certain side were willing to speak up or felt scared to. Well, and, and, and it, again, there's, there's a, it, polling seems like a very simple thing, right? You just call people, ask them what their preferences are, voila, you're done. It's all of this additional background and social situations that you know, create a bunch of noise and a bunch of noise in all of this. Um, it's look, even the question. I mean, let me let me ask you something even more fundamental. Have you ever been surveyed by no, a pollster? Never. Would you be interested in talking to them if they did call you? Not particularly. Okay, and I think that is probably the case for. I, I ask this question when I when I teach classes, and so that's a that's a younger demographic, obviously. But in general, the the folks that are willing to talk to the pollster probably know more than ten percent of the class. Hmm. So there's these layers upon layers upon layers of of issues that make it again introduce noise to the system and make it kind of questionable. Now, all that being said. And, and this is why when we started this conversation, I went to the, the real clear politics average. Probably the safest thing to do is to look at these averages, is to look at, you know, not just a poll of a thousand people, but this average of this poll of a thousand people and this poll of 800 people and this poll of 600 people, this group of likely, you know, this one was likely voters, this one was registered voters, just to get a sense of uh, really just a, like a snapshot or a temperature read of where the country is at the moment. But again, and I would encourage everyone listening to this, always put a filter on top of that and thinking, are they getting the right number of Democrats? Are people afraid to speak? These Essentially these kind of caveats are where, you know, maybe the number's okay, but there's definitely enough reason out there to have some doubt. Absolutely. So, Mike, with all that said... Uh, will you be shocked if the election results reflect where the polls are at at the moment? I truly have. I truly have no idea. And I'm looking at this. You know, you're, if you're asking me as the fandom researcher, that's yeah. where I'm at. I have no idea mm-hmm. because Donald Trump. It'll be interesting to see how much enthusiasm he generates. His first live event. <sighs> fell a little bit short. Now there might be reasons for that fear of the virus. Right. Is he still able to pack the arenas as we move closer to the closer to the election or has this relentless <laughs> negative press environment coupled with a pandemic and racial strife has that actually broken his base of support in in the suburbs? And and if that's the case, then I could imagine it's it's actually kind of an interesting thing when you ask that question. Yeah, there's enough uncertainty out there that I could see this going absolutely either way. I, I think in an earlier podcast I said that the NFL is going to be in a situation where they may have they're going to play the the black national anthem and then the the 
I, I was about to say, but the, the traditional national anthem in front of an audience that might tend to vote, you know, the majority of them may vote for the, the Trump side of this. It's all a mystery to me, dude. And, and I'll, you know, intentionally be kind of casual at this point. We've got all these signals, but we've got more noise than we've got signal at this point. So I, I think this is probably a, a good break point. As we proceed through the summer, I, I do want to talk more about politics. Uh, politics, in some ways, has a lot to resemble sports. There's competition. There's fanaticism. It's a great topic. Today, you know, we wanted to start to get into this because we because we really have this lull in terms of what's going on in the world of sports. Jumping into the polling side of it, I think, is a good place to start because at this point, this is really all we've got, right? The campaign, while it may feel like it's been going on forever, has really not started to mm -hmm. heat up and get going in earnest like it will after the conventions as, and as we do the, the debates. Um, to be honest with you, I find these conversations about polling almost a little bit unsatisfying. I think as an academic, the goal is to always want to provide clarity to, to the data that we observe in the world. In the, in the case of the polling, I think the, it's, it's going to sound like a contradiction, but the clarity comes from identifying all the different sources of noise and potential problems with interpreting the, the polling data uh, in terms of reaching any conclusions about where the race is at. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for me personally, it's been, I don't know, it's, it's just opened my eyes to some of the issues with the polling and, and some of the reasons why things may not be as much of a blowout right now as they seem. Uh, although they very well may be, you know, I guess time will tell. And at the end of the day, it's just like any sporting event. You can talk about, <laughs> you can talk about who's going to win the game or who's predicted to win the game. But at the end of the day, um, the game's got to be played and, and you find out the results when it is. Yeah. I, and I think that's fair. I mean, you know, one of the other things that doesn't come into play in the, in these discussions at the, at this point, I mean, you know, in, in some ways, the way these elections go, it's one base. It's sort of the the right wing base versus the left wing base. Um, there's issues about how much you know the the idea of turnout, how much of each of those populations you get to turn out, and then there's always this question of where does the middle end up in all this. And when we're talking about being in mid to late July, it's really a fool's game to guess where the middle is going to is going to end up. So it truly is one of those things that we just, uh, we just need to watch play out. Now, as we gather more data, uh, things may become clearer over time, but again, you know, one of the great things about this, this, and, and I, I say this as an observer of this, uh, of politics, one of the great things about it is this potentially unknown, all these different potential unknown elements. Okay, Doug. So, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Hopefully next week we can get back to actually starting to talk about the games that we uh, know and love. Can't wait. <laughs>